I'm John Burlingame, and this is Four Scores, the podcast series that takes listeners on a magical journey into the world of the most talented and iconic film and television composers working today. This episode is part two of my conversation with the amazing Henry Jackman. We spoke in his home studio in a surprisingly quiet, out-of-the-way neighborhood of Los Angeles. In part one, Henry told us about the influence of his musical family, his childhood as a classical music prodigy, and how he crossed over to pop music before turning his attention to film scores. Like the other episodes in this series, we'll learn about Henry's creative process. He'll reveal to us many of the special moments and challenges he's come across while scoring some of the biggest films of all time, including Captain America Winter Soldier and Captain America Civil War. Henry will also tell us about his work in animated films like Big Hero 6. Here is part two of my sit-down with Henry Jackman. So a different side of your uh, experience with Disney has been the Marvel pictures. Yes. Because you did two of the Captain America pictures. Indeed. Uh, Captain America Winter Soldier and then Captain America Civil War, which was almost virtually an Avengers picture. Yeah. And so I wonder if you could talk a little bit about what those movies required of you dramatically and musically. Yeah, well, that's a good question. The... um I think I got very lucky, not not any disrespect to any of the other very talented uh, directors on, on the Marvel films, but um, I sort of landed on my feet with Joe and Anthony Russo just because uh, I think they're very brave, basically. Um, the Winter Soldier, it's, one of the, it's a slightly controversial score, Winter Soldier. It's one of those things... How so? Well, um, some people, my, my brother, who sort of often delights in sending me most negative reviews you can possibly find. <laughs> what, what you often find is some people be like, oh, Winter Soldier, that's such a cool score, I love it, you know. And because it's, you know, it's brutal and it's got these cool noises, and da, 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 da. It's, it's, it's a much more technological, harmonically less sophisticated score. And the people who tend to like, let's say, Jumanji or I'm trying to think of another super simple, like Puss in Boots or something, then here's a track like The Winter Soldier and go, oh, what's that? That's not, 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 not too sure about that, right? Meanwhile, people who love something a little more contemporary. Adventurous? Yeah, yeah go, oh, I love that winter, but I'm not, I'm not too sure about some of that like old-fashioned symphonic. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I mean, you, can't, you can't please all the people all the time. And all I mean by that is when I first started talking to Joe and Anthony about uh, the score, there had already been, obviously, the first Captain America, which was more of a period, you know, it was set in the Second World War and it was more like the traditional... I mean, if you read the original Captain America comics, they, they're almost federal US propaganda. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's you get true. things like Captain America going... You're waving the flag. Listen, son, I'll tell you how to spot a communist. <laughs> and you can report that. Uh, you know, I mean, it really was... Captain America is actually a very interesting political metaphor for the sort of... Um, self-confidence and political belief of itself, if you see what I mean. Meaning America of the 1950s was a very confident place morally. They'd just yeah. won the Second World War. I don't think anyone's going to say that was finely balanced. The, the Nazis were not very nice people. And America sacrificed a lot of their young men to save Europe, right? So it, it's a very straightforward, earnest character. You cut to reading Captain America in the 70s. He's got a beard. He's disillusioned. He thinks the U.S. government has made these... Ter- Do you see what I mean? It, it's a reflection of the moral complication in politics in America. So anyway, when the Russos started doing Captain America Winter Soldier, it totally was a million miles away from the Second World War Captain America. Right. 
who didn't have to ask any questions of his government. It's very straightforward. You're a sense of liberty and justice and you beat up the Nazis and wave the American flag and, you know, so and go so home. Cool. Yeah, and then go home <laughs> and go, thank you very much. Um, and the movie was very different because uh, the Winter Soldier, he's marooned in the contemporary period of fish out of water. He came from an era, as just described, where he knew where he was and suddenly has to wake up to a world of, you know, iPhones and political machinations and he doesn't even know what Star Wars is. You know, he's got a lot of catching up to do and he's not so confident about the world he lives in. Anyway, the point being is that we need something very different. We, we've got to make the tonality of this film be something almost provocatively contemporary to be that fish-out-of-water world that Cap finds himself not in sync with. Yeah, and his best pal from World War II, <coughs> Bucky, right. is, now is now this evil sort of robo-terminator exactly. creature. And so I thought, okay, well, if, let's see if these guys are for real, because if you're saying, let's just go for it, I sat there and I thought about the Winter Soldier, and I thought, well, if the brief is contemporary, um, then instead of pulling on these symphonic skills I've picked up, when I think about a tortured soul trapped in a, you know, like a Robocop gone wrong, I'm not really thinking bassoons. <laughs> <coughs> and there's this whole other, you know, language, and I don't know if people are familiar with it. If you listen to the track just called The Winter Soldier on that CD, I mean, I don't even think I got the orchestra in for the first three minutes. It's screams and distorted shortwave radios and really brutal distorted bass sounds and yelling and metal banging sounds. I mean, it really isn't. It's the sort of thing my music tutor at Oxford would have gone, dear boy, I've no idea. If, if this is music, then every lavatory wall in England is a poetry anthology, <laughs> <laughs> to quote Stephen Fry. So I put this thing together. It was like a seven-minute piece away from picture. Where, as I say, the first four minutes is closer to, I don't know, some industrial underground electronica track. And I wasn't proposing the whole movie sounds like that. It was just, let's go this far out and, and see. And I sat them down, never, we'd never worked together. I said, right, I'm going to blast six-minute piece of music out. Are you really loud? Right? And I don't think there's going to be anything in the middle. You're either going to sort of jump out of your seats and get excited or have a heart attack and, and fire me. R request immediate <laughs> deletion. <laughs> and it was the former, thankfully. So they really went for it. Yeah, uh, he, he, they, they meant what they said. Do, do you think that the Russo brothers uh, are musically inclined at all, or simply they understood dramatically what would work? I think a bit of both. I don't think Joe and Anthony are going to leap to the piano and start telling me what chords are going on, but really good directors, you know just enough. It's more like um, having sufficient vision to explain something narratively or intellectually and then recognize when you hear something that will lock in with that idea. And in fact, actually, if you're a really good director, you should be ready to be surprised by something you haven't thought of. In my case, very often I'm lucky, they'll be like, Let, go do your thing, I'll react when I hear it. And I think it's great when someone has the internal and artistic confidence to potentially hear something that they had not expected and be completely comfortable with it. So you worked with them again on Civil War? Yeah. And how different was that musically? Um, it was a little different, actually, because some of the real hard-edged technological drive of Winter Soldier, which had an overall impact on that score, 
just freed up a bit more and it was a little more. The thing about Winter Soldier is there are a lot of contemporary situations where you've got superheroes, but you've got like the Berlin police right. and you've got many situations where if you pull the superheroes out of it, it's like a Bourne film or something. It is contemporary. Sure. The real buildings, real cars, real SWAT team. It's, it's very real. Whereas by the time you get to, say, the airport scene in Captain America, you've got two teams of superheroes. So you're allowed more operatic license. So the technological, electronica brutality goes down and the symphonic and operatic elements come up. And that, that is really not a bad way of thinking about how Civil War is a, a little different to Winter Soldier, where the, the, the nature of there being teams of superheroes meant it, it was a little more, I wouldn't say fantasy, but it didn't have the sort of ruthless, brutal, contemporary reality happening all the time, which was in Winter Soldier. Vastly different uh, mm. in terms of stylistic requirements and musical requirements. But that's film music, I guess, for you. It is, yeah. I mean, I guess... I don't know if one should be too surprised. I sometimes think... I mean, I'm incredibly fortunate that I had a legit background in electronic music and in classical music and all the rest of it. And so I'm for fortunate enough to have a lot of these paint pots, you know, in, in, in my cupboard. Every now and then I think to myself, if I didn't, I'd be, well, I guess I just wouldn't get hired. <laughs> but I'd be found out so quickly, meaning it, it's fine. Supposing you've got brilliant electronic chops and you do a score like that and someone, hey, do you want to do Harry Potter? I mean, obviously people don't just ask you if they think about it first. You would get stuck so quickly. And conversely, you know, if, if, you, if your stuff orchestrally is sounding almost as accomplished as Debussy, like, oh, fantastic, I'll do this, uh, you know, electronic score and suddenly find you're way out of your debt. So um, the question you just asked about, wow, these things are so different. I mean, I guess if you said to a distinguished actor, wow, I mean, you played, um, you know, Louis XIV in this movie, but you played a sort of CIA <laughs> operative in this movie. How the hell does that happen? Like, well, you know, I'm an actor. That's what I do. That's what I do. But to be, to be fair to composers, music is slightly different. You need to know a lot about harmony and chords and orchestration and a lot of, perhaps more than a change in role for an actor. Four Scores is brought to you by the Four Scores Playlist, featuring music and interview clips from each composer featured in the podcast series, including Henry Jackman's Ralph Breaks the Internet and Marvel's Captain America the Winter Soldier and Captain America Civil War. The Four Scores Playlist is available on all major music streaming services. Experience the magic behind the soundtracks you love whenever you want. Do you ever get stuck? Do you ever find yourself sort of without a musical idea when you're looking at a new film? No, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're any good. <laughs> uh, no, I, not yet. Um, yeah, funnily enough, not yet. I don't... I've never found it that difficult to come up with an idea. The important thing is, you know, weeding out whether it's going to be fit for purpose. And in a way, a film score... A lot of the work of the film score is actualization, if you see what I mean. Meaning... Sort of the craft part of it? Yes, you could have... You could have a, a, 
perfectly, or in fact an inspired two-minute egg from which you fail to make any good omelets. <laughs> Conversely, you know, and this is much less desirable, you can just about get away with making omelets from a pretty shady and not particularly good egg. You, you get found out at some point. Um, but because it's more narrative, even if a score is 110 minutes, what you're not doing is writing 110 minutes of completely different music all the time. Even if something has a lot of thematic variation, if you break that down, you'll look at it and say, you know, a quarter of that territory is heroic cap-based music. A quarter of it is gnarly, screaming, hideous, winter soldier, jeopardy. Meaning you're not actually writing 110 minutes where each minute bears no relation to any other minute. If you've done that, you, you have completely missed the exercise and will be fired with immediate effect the entire point the more I do film music the more I um, think about my uh, failed career in maths when I, I, I did fairly well in maths but the whole purpose and beauty of maths is the unification and the simplification I think I got quietly advised it was time to drop maths when we had this piece of homework that had 10 questions and I got hung up on question one. I only, I only did the first one. And I had reams, I had like 11 pages of work and I, I, I proudly arrived with like 11 pages of working and got the correct answer and was waiting for like a recommendation to the prime minister or something. <laughs> and he goes, ah, yes, Jackman, would you see me afterwards if you were? I said, now, um, I looked at your math solution and I must say it's the most creative solution I have ever seen to this question. What you should know is this uh, mass problem is solvable in three lines. <laughs> and it goes like this. You've gone off on safari in a way that's like indescribably interesting, but utterly useless. <laughs> For you, you shouldn't be doing maths. You are making stuff and you're supposed to be reducing to the least lines of working possible and there's no hope for you. And the, uh, and the uh, upshot of that was? And well, I was just thinking, the more I do film music, the more what you shouldn't be doing if you are presented with a narrative, with a, supposing it's even quite a complex film, um, with some complex themes and a multitude of characters. What you shouldn't be doing, oh, fantastic, I can have 17 themes, one for this character, one for this character, one for that character, and then this and this and this and this and this. In fact, the way you can assist the most is to realize that even though, let's say, there are four characters with four disparate, messed up stories, the real theme isn't the four people, it's the idea of connection, and you need a connection theme, and then you can start to tie aspects of the movie together and do these slightly meta-structural, sneaky, um, manipulative things because you're unifying, not, not fragmenting. And that generally, I mean, there's no rules to anything, but that... Um, I would say is, is a good sort of intellectual idea to start with. And did you ascertain that fairly early on in your film experience here? Yes, I mean, I've made it sound enormously pretentious. It often has very practical ways of being realized. Like you write a cue for a scene and the music editor rings out, hey, I, you know that one that you just wrote when Vision's talking to, I, I chucked it in in real five and it works really well. <laughs> you know, it needs some work and you can see it needs to go up a gear, but this idea, then continues here in the film. You can see where that links and, you know. Nice to have a good team. Yeah, exactly. Meaning the much more practical way of looking at it is if you write something that represents or is successful, for, you'd be crazy to come up with a completely new idea. That goes back to the unifying thing. You're trying to make the narrative cohere and feel more, um, you know, etched.
One of the interesting things about your uh, Disney experience is that in the case of Big Hero 6, that was actually a Marvel comic that became a Disney animation yeah. film. That's true. So yeah. sort of Marvel meets Disney there yeah. in a different sense. Well, what did you need to do on Big Hero 6? Well, that was interesting as well, because well, you also had the massive cultural uh, Japanese connection as well, you know. Um, well, what's interesting about that is I'd done X-Men First Class. The point being that it was basically sort of a superhero movie, but it's Disney animation plus superhero. So you've got that, there's a certain expectation, not always that all expectations must be followed, but I would, if you listen to most animation scores, the rate of harmonic change and the use of the symphony orchestra is a little more symphonic in general than, I don't know, some contemporary uh, action kind of film. So it was, it was an interesting combination of taking what I'd learnt about heroic harmonies and all the rest of it, but then taking what I'd learned from just doing animated scores in general, meaning generally with animation, more things happen, per, to put it bluntly. Right. In any given two minutes, more happens per second than in a Terry Malick film. Right? <laughs> Terry Malick film, you're staring at a river in Virginia for five minutes whilst listening down to, uh, you know, Wagner. And don't worry, just enjoy the river and listen to five minutes of Wagner. In that time in an animated film, uh, all sorts of exposition has happened and many things, you know, you, you get what I'm saying. Uh, but also it was it had a technological element as well. It was because it was set in this sort of fantasy Tokyo. Right, um, with all these tech-savvy kids. Yeah, exactly. And Baymax, uh, as a character, is a sort of uh, AI medical bot, you know. And so, again, there was a lot of electronica and sense. But it's the same speech as before. You, you, whilst there was a lot of technology, there's a lot of loss and emotional, universal beats in there. So same kind of thing. By the time you get to the end of that movie, the use of the orchestra's gone up a lot, you know, to cater for the sort of the dramatic aspects of the third act. So in general, how do you start a score? Do you take a couple of days, think it through? Do you sit down at the keyboard and and noodle a few things? Do you get out a guitar and strum? Do you I, sing in well, the no, shower? Well, no one needs to watch me get out a guitar. No, <laughs> the, um, depending on the movie, the more thematic it is, the more I stay away from the sequencer and just do piano and iPhone. IPhone? Yeah. Well, to record, you know. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll just bang the iPhone into record, start noodling around, listen back to it, and um, get annoyed when it gets thematically discursive and loses its, you know, whatever it... Um, I remember Han saying something I didn't understand at the time. He goes, um, well, we know we can do orchestra, you know. Or we can, we, you know you can arrange it. Me, uh, uh, that's not the challenge. Meaning, I think... The, you know the analogy I gave before about eggs and omelets. Spend enough time on your eggs because if you you know if you're a good enough chef, you can always make the omelet. The important thing is the egg, right? Because with enough crafting, and by the time you get to a cue and it's in a scene, there's all sorts of. If you know what you're doing, you know how to write cues. But if you haven't spent enough time on the the mechanics of the actual theme or the, or the material and where, where it could go, what intervals are involved and could be useful later, how it could be reharmonized. You could be kicking yourself because you could get a bit too far in before realizing, ooh, you don't have enough. I don't think it's fit for purpose. And it's not just that it's not enough, the actual internal mechanics of this thematic idea 
aren't sufficient to, to do what needs to happen. So, yeah, I so think... So do you spend a lot of time then conceptualizing themes and ideas? Funnily enough, it's not always to do with notes. Like, the, like so the Winter Soldier idea... It was sounds. Exactly. I spent that, that spent forever. And the more radical it is, the more scary it is. Because for the first four weeks... I mean, I spent ages on that Winter Soldier thing. Partly because you don't have theme to fall back on and orchestration to fall back on, which you can put together pretty quickly. Um, and there was such crazy sound design that it's one of those slightly scary things. Oh, how's it going? Well, at the moment, I've got a bunch of completely disorganized shortwave radio noises <laughs> and a very, very deep drone that's sort of blowing the speaker in the main room and a sort of uh, crazy yell that kind of goes... and doesn't have many effects on it right now. It's like, right, so maybe I'll come back. Yeah, don't, I don't have anything right now. Whereas if it's something thematically based, fairly quickly, you can do something that's not embarrassing. I often feel, in, just in the last five years, any time, if you start something that's supposed to be something from scratch, and at no point are you ever scared, at no point you're ever fearful, you're probably not doing it. It's probably because it's so safe that there's nothing to say other than, of course, it's passable because it's, it's, it's sufficiently generic not to have to worry. And the more scared you are, one of two things is happening. It's genuine rubbish and should be heard by no one. Or it's one of those things where you have to keep you say, don't lose faith, keep going, just keep going, just keep going. And then it might take a long time before you go, phew, I think it's working. For, for days, I was thinking, I don't know. I don't know about this. <laughs> but this is the world of commercial filmmaking. How often can you be radical or original or fresh in your thinking? I think it just depends who you're working with, to be honest. I think, people, I think the audience is always underestimated. But I'm, in, I'm enough of an idealistic artist to believe that actually... People often want something they don't know they want or expect. So I, I take your point. It's clearly not true. If I were to say, oh, Hollywood movies is the best possible breaking ground for all of the world's <laughs> radical aesthetic developments, clearly that's not true. No. <laughs> On the other hand, it is too cynical and untrue to say that just because a movie, um, if it's a bigger movie, necessarily can't contain any challenging musical ideas is also untrue. Joe and Anthony Russo, uh, that's why I mentioned earlier I feel lucky. They are people who've been staggeringly commercially successful, but in my interactions with them have not been, have been the opposite of fearful creatively, and they seem to be able to do both. You yeah, can... and that's refreshing to yeah. know that there are risk takers in commercial filmmaking. Yes. It's too easy a cliche to go, movies that had large budgets and make a lot of money are necessarily uh, aesthetically uh, much narrower and... <clears throat> generic and unimaginative and all movies made by passionate people with a low budget are all fantastic and, and brilliant. It's simply not true. So we've mentioned Joe and Anthony Russo. Now, who are they? Uh, Joe and Anthony Russo are brothers and the directors, the directorial team of brothers who directed Winter Soldier, uh, Captain America Winter Soldier, Captain America Civil War, and the Avengers... Infinity Wars. Yes. And Endgame. And quite frankly, they've, <laughs> they've only made incredibly successful films, and I've been lucky enough to work with these directors. Well, Henry, this has been fun. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Four Scores. Please subscribe. 
And make sure to share this episode with your music-loving friends. It'd also be great if you can rate it, because that really helps others find the series. See you next time. Watch Captain America Civil War, Captain America the Winter Soldier, and Big Hero 6. And listen to the soundtracks wherever movies and music are enjoyed.